one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. And you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Yes, Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe are the stars of the tennis podcast this week. In 1980, they shared in possibly the most famous tiebreak in tennis history. And this week, they let us in on what they were thinking and feeling as it all unfolded. We also review last week, preview this week, and answer more of your questions right here on the Tennis Podcast. Yes, so Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe to come here on the Tennis Podcast and do not miss it. Stay with us for that because some of the conversation that they give us and, and the insights into that incredible 1980 uh, Wimbledon final tiebreak, 18-16, it, just, it, it has to be heard to be believed because uh, Bjorn Borg really opened up in particular in a way that I don't think I've ever heard him do before. So uh, I hope you enjoy that. Uh, we'll be listening to that a little bit later. Uh, Uh, I'm delighted to say that uh, Catherine Whitaker is here with us as usual. Uh, it's Halloween, Catherine. Ha ha how's Halloween? Has anybody anybody scared you yet? How about Novak Djokovic in his Halloween mask as he came out onto the court in Paris? Was that scary? Yeah, Darth Vader was one of my childhood um, childhood nightmare um, characters, I suppose. Um, really? So <laughs> Did you turn the telly off? No, I managed to, you know, I'm 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 nearly 27. I managed to just about cope with it without hiding behind the sofa, but still. <laughs> uh we we uh, I should let you in on a little secret here, uh, tennis podcast listeners. We need to be a little bit nice to Catherine tonight because she's reeling from uh, from about this time last night when her favorite football team were 4-0 uh... ahead and they ended up they ended up losing 7-5. Uh, and uh, and mentioning and then in it at all, set, David is not being nice. It's rude. It's mean, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. So after having uh, having lost the first set seven five, how did you uh, how did you think that they 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 came back in the second <laughs> set, Catherine? If only. Sorry. If I, only. I, I, that's just mean, isn't it? I'm just. It's just plain mean from me. Anyway, uh, we have lots to talk about before we get to Bjorn Borg and John Macino here. Uh, Serena Williams has won another tournament, Catherine. The WTA finals this time in Turkey in Istanbul, and that adds to her U.S. Open, Wimbledon, and. Olympic crowns pretty impressive for a world number three yeah in the I mean in the second half of the year there hasn't there hasn't been anybody else has there you know ever since the French Open pretty much which Sharapova very impressively won it's just been the Serena show on the WTA tour hasn't it and um, how the rankings aren't showing her to be the number one player in the world which she patently is 
um, is is unbelievable, really. But good on her because she's she's had a, a cracking 2012 and she deserves all her success. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the argument over whether she should be world number one, given that she feels like the world number one, having really dominated Azarenka and Sharapova in their meetings all year, you know, that's an easy conversation to have. It's it's one that I think both of us feel fairly strongly that that, that Serena should be the world number one, or at least, you know, that's how it feels, as we've said. But I think what it shows more than anything is how those top three have detached themselves from the rest, Azarenka, Sharapova and... Uh, and Serena Williams and and it really bodes well for next year I'd say in that regard you know it's almost got that slight feeling of of what we have on the men's circuit with the top four it is and I think that's extremely healthy you know as we keep saying I think Azarenka really is the real deal and Sharapova she's always going to be there isn't she she's always going to be there or thereabouts her showing against Serena in the final in Istanbul was, was certainly an improvement upon um uh, upon the Olympic final, which obviously was um, not a particularly expre- a pleasant experience for her, so I think next year could be could be very interesting uh, on the on the women's tour. And um, let's just hope they all stay healthy because Serena and uh, and Sharapova certainly have, have always been quite injury prone. So, well, Sharapova in particular, and obviously Serena's had her troubles in uh, in recent years so um yeah all being well 2012 could be uh, could be a cracker on the women's side yeah absolutely well we had a, a another couple of tournaments on the men's side last week in uh, in Basel one Martin Del Potro came back to beat Roger Federer in the final and I tell you what if you can come from behind to beat Federer in Basel you, you've done pretty well, haven't it's, you? It's like robbing someone's house, isn't it? Beating Federer in 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 Basel. How how dare he? Uh, I was yeah. I was very impressed, very impressed indeed uh, with that result and and the manner of it. Um, and I am salivating at the prospect of uh, of next week in London because uh, I think Del Potro is a genuine contender. I just hope. Uh, particularly with with Rafa's absence now confirmed, I just hope everybody comes into that uh, on top form because because if that's the case, we're in for a hell of a week. Um, I'm just yeah, a I mean, bit nervous. With... Fit, and uh, you want them to be fit, and you want them to be fresh. That's the other thing. I, I, I mean, Novak Djokovic we saw lose today in Paris um, uh, to Sam Querrey. Strange, strange scoreline. Having won the first set six love, and then and then I think he won eight games in a row in total. Eventually lost in three to Sam Querrey. Um, but there were suggestions that uh, Djokovic may be feeling a little bit, uh, feeling a little tired and a little mentally tired as well because I, I believe reports coming out of Paris saying that uh, he, he took a flying visit uh, back home uh, for one day to visit his father who was who was ill um, and uh, reports saying that uh, that he's on the mend thankfully and, and that's the most important thing but not exactly an ideal way to try to prepare yourself for, for a big time tennis match is it to, to have to go and travel all that distance and, and have the worry over your dad no of course and uh, i i suspect that probably is the the explanation because um it, it was a very odd scoreline he won the first set six love didn't he and then just fell away which is totally un un Djokovic like so um it's just a shame um shame for for paris and shame for the players to to have such a, a big tournament as Paris back to back with with the World Tour finals, and obviously the players, need, most of the top players need to play, um, you know, to to gather points to ensure their qualification. Um, 
but they've also got one eye on on next week and making sure that they're fresh and and peaking for then. So it it, it is it's a tricky one um, the juxtaposition of these two events in the calendar. And I know that and it, and it's a tricky one for the ATP as well because they removed that week in between to try to shorten the calendar, um, which they successfully did. And here we are about to play London in early November rather than late November, which I think is is to the the benefit of the off season and so forth. But you know, it, it's it's hard on Paris, Paris Bercy. I mean, a, a wonderful tournament in its own right, one of the Masters one thousand events, uh, and and perhaps explaining why Guy Forget, the tournament director, is talking about moving it to to February. Yeah, it's absolutely understandable from. From Guy's perspective, isn't it? He's he's got the interest of the the tournament at heart, and of course they want all the big players. You know, having Federer pull out that's that's no good to anyone, really. Um, I mean, it's for all the reasons we've already said, it's understandable, but um, that's just not what they want. And it's such a great venue, Bercy, isn't it? You know, it's such a you know, when that's packed to the rafters, that indoor um, atmosphere can be sensational, and it deserves to to have justice done to it. I think so. Looking to move, but it. as you say, it, it, it is understandable that Federer has pulled out. Really, I mean, he reached the final in Basel. I know he's got a few aches and pains going on, but you know, if he if he were to to play this week, you're you're effectively asking him. To, I, I read today to to win ten matches in thirteen days. That's to win both tournaments back to back. That's that's just not possible. No, I mean, and it's not it's not a fair ask of of anyone really and certainly not with a long term you know we're the whole of tennis wants Federer to to be around for as long as possible and and asking him to play that kind of schedule isn't the best way to um to ensure his longevity in the game is it so it's something that it, it's in everyone's interest for this to be resolved the ATP the tournament the players so I'm sure it will be looked at it's just never as simple as Ah, oh, moving it, moving that tournament sounds like a good idea. So why don't we do that? It's just never as simple as that, is it? But no, I mean they've been trying to they've been trying to work with the calendar for so many yeah. years, and, and and it is it is difficult. There's so many people with so many interests involved, and you know livelihoods and all the rest of it. You know you can't just chuck it up in the air and start again uh, that's just one of the one of the things with it uh, Andy Murray is also in Paris he won his first match against Paul-Henri Mathieu tonight we know that Novak Djokovic is the year-end number one congratulations to him but Murray now will sense with Djokovic going out early on he could really put himself in position for an attack on that number one spot early next year, couldn't he, Andy Murray, if he can really finish this year well? Mm, I think he's got his eyes on that prize, don't you? I think uh, most definitely. I think um, he will go in as one of the favourites for the Australian Open. And um, maths isn't my strong point, so I'm hoping at some stage someone will, will do it What's for five me. What's five plus five, Catherine? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I conveniently misheard that. Was that seven plus five? I just, just uh, <laughs> reference yes. to the twelve goals that went in at the uh, the Medeski last night. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we really mustn't talk about football in your presence at the moment, should we? Uh, Roger Federer. Something else I probably shouldn't talk about, which I'm going to, is the fact that uh, that I aired on Twitter the subject of of Roger Federer's retirement, not from a game, from a match, but from the sport as a whole. And, sporting uh, blasphemy, you know, you'd, David. Yeah, I tell you what, you'd you'd have, you'd have thought I'd kidnapped somebody's 
dog or puppy the way they were going on you know um but uh, to be fair it, you know it's not a subject that people like to talk about and it's not a subject that we really need to talk about so so why am i well i'm just curious as to to how roger federer eventually will retire what what method will he use will he will he do a sampras and just sort of try to to win a big one and then and then go out uh, on, on the on the at the top of the game with that as the memory will he will he i mean let's hope not but will he will he succumb to an injury and be forced out of the game i suspect what he will do is is have a lap of honor uh, do a stefan edberg you know come to the decision that he's got one good year left in him and and do a circuit of the of the tennis tour a bit of pomp basically and just to say well a little bit yeah but and and a but as much as anything, I think in his mind it will be a chance to say goodbye to the tennis fans of the world. And I know he'll. Some people, if if he did that, I think some people would would raise their eyebrows. Some people would be downright cynical and critical of him and say, "Oh, you know, he's just milking it, and and he's just he's such an ego and all the rest of it." I don't I don't think that that's what it's necessarily about. I mean, I think he does enjoy the adulation and the sport and i just don't think he, he minds admitting that but i think as much as anything more than any player in history i think he would see himself as somebody who wanted an opportunity to say goodbye to tennis fans and allow them to say goodbye to him yeah and wouldn't that be um wouldn't that be fitting when you first raised the question i i thought oh he'll he'll do a sampras maybe maybe a combination of a sampras and a roddick he'll He'll announce his his retirement, you know, pre just before a Grand Slam event, and then he'll he'll bloody well go on and win it, um, and that would just be perfect. But actually, now you said that, I think I think I I think I could see that, and he would be absolutely deserving of it, and um, a three hundred and sixty five day lap of honour. It has to be something big and poetic, and suitably grand doesn't it you know it's roger federer so basically he's got he needs to go unbeaten in his <laughs> final year <laughs> to achieve there, the career grand slam there you go rog you'll be the, you'll the be a failure unless slam. you unless you achieve that in our eyes yeah, uh, but let, let's just be very clear, Federer fans. Before you start unsubscribing from the tennis podcast in your thousands, uh, we 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 uh, we hope Roger Federer carries on for many many more years. And I suspect he he I suspect it's not beyond him to go all the way to Rio uh, and 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 play well into his mid mid to late thirties. I think he's that good. I think he's that keen on playing the game. He's also mentioned that um, I remember Andre Agassi saying he wanted to play till his till his children were old enough to to have actual memories of him playing and and being a a top tennis player. And Federer's mentioned something similar as well, hasn't he? And his twins are what two or three at the moment. So um, yeah, yeah. A way to go, I think. Well, there's one legend. Uh, we're going to introduce a couple more now here on the Tennis Podcast. It is our pleasure to welcome Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe to this show. And we look at one of the greatest rivalries that tennis has ever known. Borg and McEnroe were perfect opposites. Borg, the cool, calm Swede who won his titles almost silently from the baseline. McEnroe, loud, opinionated, angry, a New Yorker. He marauded to the net at every opportunity. It's the old cliche, isn't it? But fire and ice really did sum them up. They played 14 times, only 14, winning seven matches apiece. Perfect 
parity between the two. It was the Wimbledon final, though, in 1980 that everybody still talks about today, 32 years on. Their first meeting in a Grand Slam tournament. Uh, Borg had match points in the fourth set tiebreak. McEnroe eventually took it 18-16, but it was Borg who went on to win the match in the fifth and deciding set 8-6. For Borg, just thinking about it brings emotions bubbling back to the surface. Well, when I lost that tiebreaker, I, I, I mean, I thought I'm going to lose the match. I mean, uh, I said it before, I say it again. That was my wor- probably my worst minute of my life, uh, walking from missing that set point. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Point in the tiebreaker uh, to walk to the chair and sit down and thinking, why... Am I playing one set more? I mean, here I have seven, eight match points. I should have won in four sets. And here I'm sitting, and we have to play one more set. I cannot believe this. I thought I had him, and so it was, uh, it was another experience to see a guy who had already won it four times who I thought was going to sort of give in and didn't. So it showed me that you had to find uh, another gear and more will if you're going to win something that you wanted really badly because he sort of took it away from me and uh, I thought that, that for sure he was going to he would he would be affected by what happened I think he knew or he thought that I'm, I'm having this match now I'm, I'm, uh, I thought he's going to win I mean uh, I mean the worst moments the, the worst two three minutes of, 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 of my uh, life as a tennis player on the court was after that tiebreaker in women. 
and the fact that he was able to sort of move on, uh, it was it made me respect him even more. It, it, it certainly made me sort of take another look at my own game and and that I had even wanted. I thought I'd played as hard as anyone out there and wanted it as bad, but it, I felt like I learned something. I had to do it to find uh, another avenue, even another way to get myself to try harder and to, to want it more. I mean, that's... That's not an easy thing to do in a way, but you have to sort of keep, even when things aren't going well, to try to keep, keep in it. And key thing, first game, fifth set, uh, I was down love 30, and uh, I mean, I won that game. And if, if, I mean, if I lose the first game, if, if you break my, my serve first game, fifth set, definitely he will win the match, but uh, I won that game, and I played really well in the fifth set. I mean, tiebreaker, the worst two, two minutes of my life as a tennis player. One hour later, the best minute in my tennis life. Well, I uh, felt like um, it really wasn't, in a way, uh, too bad because I got a lot, of, a lot of good things came out of the match. Um, I had a, a new level of respect among my peers and among the the people that watched it, their fans and the media. So, I mean, in a way, it was, it was sort of a match that I felt like I came out not as a loser. So even though it was unbelievably disappointing, I felt like in a way that the way people viewed me had the level of respect and, and appreciation for what I brought to the table actually went up. So it, it wasn't that difficult. Well, that is something that I don't think I'll ever forget hearing, Catherine. Bjorn Borg getting emotional. Bjorn Borg saying that that was the the hardest couple of moments of his entire tennis career, followed almost within the hour by the best moments of his tennis career. I don't think I've ever heard him be that open before, and, 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 and I've certainly not heard him say that before. It was really quite something to, to, to behold. No, that's, that was a sensational few minutes of audio. That That was... I was gripped. I mean, Borg is was famous for being and still absolutely is ice cool, gives nothing away, uh, absolutely nothing. And to hear him talking like that, you know, we were speaking last week about how how uh, cool and calm he was on the surface. And to know now, in hindsight, that after losing that tie break, he was thinking, well, this match is lost. To know that he was thinking that, yet not showing it, in any way at all on on the outside is quite is quite incredible really it's uh it's a fascinating and to know that perhaps less surprising to know that john was thinking right well i've got this one sewn up um it's yeah it's just uh absolutely fascinating it's our pleasure the that we we have got to know them a little bit on the ATB Champions Tour over the years and and we see them share each other's company and there is such affection between Borg and McEnroe today that they do treat each other like family and they've never really had a crossword. McEnroe said he was always on the best behaviour when he played against Bjorn Borg because that just felt the way it should be. 
Uh, he says that Borg took him under their wing, under his wing, when they, when he first came along, and and he's always been grateful for that. And and they they, they really do have enormous affection affection for each other. Um, we're we're also pleased to say that they're they're both going to be under the roof in the Albert Hall uh, for one night only on Saturday the 8th of December they'll be uh, joining up at the Winter Whites Gala McEnroe will be on the tennis court playing a match Bjorn Borg will be a special guest in the audience to watch and uh, they join Chris Evert and uh, Boris Becker and Ivan Lendl as part of what will be a fantastic night's entertainment uh, part of the Statul Masters Tennis which runs from the 5th to the 9th of December and that Borg and McEnroe uh, duo will be uh, together again at the Albert Hall on the 8th of December. Tickets are available at the Royal Albert Hall box office and on the Statoil Masters Tennis website. But amazing tie breaks, Catherine. They don't get much more amazing than 18-16 and a match that people still talk about 32 years on. But where does that stand against other tie breaks? Can you think of any others that have really struck you over the years? Um, Of course, there are absolutely loads. The one that initially sprung to my mind... Um, possibly because uh, because it was it's the most recent, but I, I do think it will stand the test of time as far as uh, legendary tie breaks go. Is is this year's U.S. Open final between uh, Murray and Djokovic? I, how many set points did Murray have in that tie break? Eight or nine before he finally clinched it? Yeah, that was that was one of those where where as it was going on, you were thinking, this isn't happening. This is just unbelievable. This is so good. Yeah, so good and so so utterly, you know, somebody going for their first their first Grand Slam title and having that many opportunities and somebody that's I don't want to say blown opportunities in the past because actually it, it it wasn't like that in the in the four preceding uh, USA uh, Grand Slam finals that Murray had been in, you know, it wasn't like he was in a winning position and blew it, but somebody that maybe had those those doubts in his mind, you know, seeing eight set points come and go uh he had to have been thinking this just isn't going to happen is it you know it's not it's, it's not it's not going to happen for me uh and that's certainly what i was thinking uh on his behalf so um it had all the drama all and and all the high quality match play as well um yeah i, I think that one will stand the test of time i think it'll be up there in yeah 10, 20 years when we have this this same conversation about tie breaks. But. Well, it's funny, you know, I think one of the most memorable for me wouldn't be that memorable for anybody else. But for me, it was uh, Goran Ivanisevic against Greg Grzedzki at uh, the Queen's Tournament uh, in 1997. Uh, 2018 for Ivanisevic, the longest tie break I can ever remember. And I had the uh, misfortune of, uh, of being kneeling next to the umpire's chair throughout the 38 points and uh, and let me tell you that is a really uncomfortable place to be when you're six feet seven inches tall but that's what i was doing i was waiting to take the, uh, the winner boy. of the match to to a to a live television interview and uh, and and i decided I'd, I'd go and camp out next to the photographer's chairs and uh, and just you know it's only going to be seven points isn't it be over be, be over in a flash uh, there i was half an hour later with cramp uh, trying trying 
trying not to sort of uh, collapse to the ground. Um, but anyway, that one was memorable for me. I, another, it's interesting. I put it out on Twitter uh, to ask uh, the listeners and the, the followers there what uh, what people thought. What 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 are memorable tie breaks? And another thirty eight point tie break came up time after time between Marit Safin and Roger Federer at the Masters Cup some years oh, ago. Oh yeah, do you remember that one? I certainly that was do. A cool yeah. call, wasn't it? Yeah, again, high-quality yeah. tennis, not just the drama of the scoreboard, utterly sensational yeah, tennis absolutely, as well. Absolutely. Um, a few others that uh, people have come up with. Uh, ben Shapiro uh, nominates uh, Djokovic against Alex Dolgopolov uh, on the Louis US Armstrong Open. court a couple of years ago. 16-14 in the first set tiebreak. Yeah, and that God, that match could have been so different, couldn't it? Um, yeah, that yeah. was sensational, yeah. History could have been different. Yeah. That's, what you, that's what I always think with these tie breaks. You know, you look at these. I mean, a number of people have come up with Rafa uh, tie breaks early on in tournaments, and you think, crikey, if that one had gone the other mm. way, history could have been changed. Yes, quite sliding doors of tennis. That would be an interesting, uh, interesting novel, wouldn't it? I have uh, I have David, an 18-year-old sports-obsessed student based in Dortmund in Germany who's written to us on Twitter. I thought Twitter, you were describing picking, yourself 20 years ago. Then. I, was, uh, I was describing myself in a, in a... In an era that I can no longer remember, <laughs> uh, when I was uh, when I was not grey-haired, um, when I could uh, oh, anyway, I'm getting a, a bit uh, a bit emotional. Uh, Roger Federer against Rafael Nadal, the fourth set tiebreak um, uh, at Wimbledon, of course, of in course, 2008, yeah. in which he describes two of the best passing shots ever hit were back to back in that tiebreak, and and I, th- I remember them. Yes, I think Rafael's passing from shots, Nadal, yeah. And, a, and then a backhand down the line response from Federer. Just an unbelievable succession of points and an incredible drama. We've had a babbling brat on Twitter who's uh, nominated Rafa against Istamin, the second set in the 2010 US Open. Yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, that was one that was won by uh, 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 Rafa Nadal in the end, the tournament. Uh, so, you know, there's a, there's a good example. And also the Rafa Novak fourth set in the Australian Open final of this year. Babbling Brat would also like to mention. Brody from Canada has come up with Stosa, Sam Stosa against Maria Kirilenko oh, at yes. last year's US Open. That was a corker, I remember. Yeah, and that one, and wasn't Stosa that one, went on to win the title. That one was shoved out on, that was on an outside court, wasn't it? Um, isn't was that you? right? Wasn't it moved because of all the uh, the poor weather and, and all those people that had just come in on a grounds pass or whatever were treated to to one hell of a match? Yeah, no, it's a great, great one, that one. And finally, uh, Verity Buckingham nominates Murray against Djokovic, the one you mentioned. Oh, in the US good Open on you, Verity. Yeah. So uh, you you have a supporter there, Catherine. But um, no, it's 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 interesting, isn't it? Because you know, over the years, and I've always liked the the fifth set to run its course, and uh, and you know, we wouldn't have had a seventy sixty eight, would we, uh, at Wimbledon without uh, without that being the case? But recently, I've softened my view on that. I, I think I quite like a fifth set tiebreaker to Grand Slam. What do you think? I believe in the fifth set tiebreaker. I know I'm. Probably just about in the minority there. I know it's more of a purist's view uh, to enjoy the... Uh, don't get me wrong, I enjoy a fifth set at the three other Grand Slams as well. But sometimes that can, can feel like an anticlimax. In fact, I'd say more often than not, that feels like an anticlimax. Um, whereas with a what fifth set... What are you talking set, about, Catherine? 
playing 21-19 fifth set between Eunice Alinari and Andy Roy but that's the exception isn't it with a fifth set tie break you are guaranteed a crescendo you are guaranteed a climax and a peak to the match it's just potluck, though, Catherine. I'm changing my mind now. I'm going against you. Uh, it's just. It oh, just you, you're a, being a you're being dice. contrary, you play, you play David. Five, you play for five hours, Catherine. You play for five hours, and then suddenly it comes down to a lucky net cord. It's not fair. This this fifth but set any ma- rule. But hang on, about? a lucky net cord can change a match in a tiebreak or in a game. It can, you know, that's that is not argument enough, David. I'm not getting letting you get away with that. I think a. A, a thrilling match of of five sets that that is is I mean it's it's a toss of a coin either way isn't it whether it's you know a point here and there to have your serve broken and go on to lose the fifth set or whether it's a point here and there to lose a tie break you know it's on a knife edge either way and I, I like to see I like to see a match reach a climax and uh, I think. The best way of assuring that in in the highest percentage of of matches is with a fifth set tiebreak. There you go. I'm not going to win this argument, am I? I'm going to. I'm running into a brick wall. It'd be Catherine's interesting to know whether whether John Isner and Nicholas Mau believe in a fifth introduction of a fifth set tiebreak. <laughs> there must have been a point where they're thinking, you know what? I'm sick of this. Now. <laughs> Think, Let's just play a tie break. I think there were probably a lot of points <laughs> where they were thinking that. Yes. Well, let us know what you think uh, at Tennis Podcast on Twitter. We'd love to know. Do you prefer the the fifth set tiebreak that they have at the U.S. Open, or do you prefer to see matches uh, run their course and uh, and and somebody have to break serve? Do let us know. Um, but that's about it from us uh, here on the Tennis Podcast. We'll be back uh, just before the ATP World Tour Finals takes place. Once the draw is out, and we'll have a full preview of that wonderful event at the O2 Arena. Many of the best players in the world will be there. Uh, We'll be there too. I'll be there for BBC Radio 5 Live. We uh, commentate on 5 Live Sports Extra on every singles match at the uh, O2 Arena, the ATP World Tour Finals. Uh, So hopefully you'll uh, hear our coverage there and you'll hear the tennis podcast just before the tournament gets underway. And we'll speak to you then. So the Barclays ATP World Tour Finals are almost upon us. Let us know who you think's going to win at Tennis Podcast on Twitter. Also, send us your year-end memories for our preview show, which we'll record before the tournament gets underway. Until then, thanks for listening. Do review us on iTunes if you get the chance, and we'll talk to you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.